Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Spotlight with Tony D'Urso. Join in on a great conversation today with one of the world's great influencers as they showcase the latest tricks and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome to the Spotlight. I'm your host, Tony D'Urso. The Spotlight focuses on highlighting stars, greats, and game changers. We broadcast every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. So please, set your calendar to hear from the world's elite. Today's Spotlight interview is with Philip Stutz, marketing mastermind. But first, some news for you. With over 2 million downloads on my weekly talk shows, our audience is loving our guest interviews, and I just want to say, thanks a million. Or actually, thanks two million. And I am now on television with the Tony D'Urso TV show. Check it out at TonyDurso.com slash TonyTV. And also, if you want to get some major shout-outs for your business or get interviewed, just go to TonyDurso.com slash TonyTV and check out the links. All right. Today, we set the stage for the spotlight to chat with Philip Stutz, marketing mastermind. Philip has over 20 years of political and business marketing experience. He's contributed to more than 1,000 election victories of senators, governors, representatives, and two U.S. presidents. His agency won over 20 prestigious honors, including the award for digital video excellence in a presidential campaign. Philip is a regular guest on CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC. He's all over the place. And he's referred to as a political guru by ESPN and a marketing genius on Fox Business. Let's find out more about this. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the spotlight, Philip. Hey, thank you for having me. Honored to be on, Tony. Philip, I can't say enough of what an honor it is to meet you. And I sincerely appreciate you taking the time from your intense marketing campaigns to join us today on the spotlight. I'm a marketer by trade. I've written a couple books. But what you've done is way out there in the solar system. Heck, you're in another galaxy out there with what you've done. I'm very, very impressed at your accomplishments. Well, I appreciate that. It's uh, It's been an, an amazing ride. I feel incredibly blessed. And, you know, you always hear uh, people say they were self-made men or whatever. And I'm the complete opposite. I'm uh, made by a ton of people who've given me love and energy and respect and growth. And um, I, I really owe it all to the, the tribe of mentors that I've had in my life. I understand that. Let's kind of find out a lot more about this. But first, I really like to know how did you become the political and marketing guru? Basically, how did it all start for you? You know, Tony, I'm uh, growing up, I grew up in Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama, and I was just fascinated by two things growing up. And one of them was college football. Uh, You cannot see me right now, but I'm 5'9", 150 pounds. There was no future. Uh, And the other uh, fascination I had was uh, in politics. Uh, I guess I just like winners and losers and competition. And so I went into, uh, you know, graduated from the University of Alabama moved to Washington, D.C. and started this process of working as a vagabond on political campaigns. And I lived in uh, South Dakota, San Diego, Phoenix, uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Washington, D.C. throughout the years running 
the political campaigns of candidates that were running for president, governor, U.S. senator, uh, just learned so many different things. My parents thought I was insane. They thought they had they kept telling me, you know, I need to move back home and go work at a bank. And that just <laughs> yeah, I couldn't I, I didn't know what that meant. Uh, I, it, people that work in political campaigns always say one thing. It is like we're, it is like crack cocaine. You cannot you try to get away from it. No matter how much you try to move away from working on political campaigns, it is the most addictive job you'll ever work on. There were there was a period oh, when I was 28 to 30 years old where I had uh, 21 days off in three years. A total that's including weekends and it was the most fun three-year period of my life and and so that that is sort of where i caught the the political bug i created and to after the uh 2004 uh re-election of george w bush uh, which i i was on i worked on um, i decided to create a political consulting agency and then over the years as we built that up i noticed that there was this massive trend towards the digital marketing place. And what we get in politics, and we're, I'm happy to kind of walk through some of that, but it set up perfect for where the world was going. We understand voters like businesses need to understand customers. And we have moved into a society now where everybody is yelling, you need a digital marketing plan. And there's an impersonal aspect of that. There is so many marketing firms out there that are selling, you know, run Facebook, run YouTube ads, run, you know, Instagram ads. You gotta go, you gotta get your your digital plan in place. But to me, that's all tactical because the only thing I start from and all I consider and all I think about is what does the customer think? Because I come from politics. And in politics, I love the politicians that I work for, but I really love the voters. And I only care what they think. And if the voter tells me that, you know, in our research that they care about these three issues, then I'm going to talk to my candidate and find alignment. You know, it's not that we encourage our candidates uh, in politics and political marketing to say things they don't believe. But, you you know, you always find that the candidate may want to talk about an issue and we find out the voters don't care about that issue. <laughs> so I always tell a politician, we're, let's find alignment with the voters and then let's go create our message, our strategy and our marketing plans. And when we reverse engineered that concept to businesses, we had explosive results. And that's where, where it all came from and where I am right now. That's quite a concept. You're really drilling down into the political arena and what happens pre-launch or actually what happens during mm -hmm. a campaign and all the work. Very interesting. Yeah, we don't want to know about that subject. We want to know about this other stuff. Meanwhile, the whole campaign platform is ready to run aground because they have to be fed what the voters are very interested in, what's current with them. Now, that's very interesting, but you can also, in a way, manipulate that a little bit by bringing awareness up in the media and so forth and exposure to make and put something on the voters' mind. I've seen that done with the price of gasoline, where all of a sudden it became a major issue to voters. And I noticed the next time a major election happened that the price of gasoline dropped before the campaign started. Therefore, it was not an issue for anyone to talk about during their campaigns. And then after the elections and after all that, then the price of gasoline went back up. I thought that was really interesting. And I see how that could also probably be a factor, though, probably a little bit outside your bounds. Am I taking it right? You're more focused on what the people 
are asking about and talking about in the media sort of thing? No, what I'm really well, it could be, but every voter has different priorities. So let's just take that one in particular, because I've dealt with that issue many times. What we would do is go out and find voters that really care about less government or less wastefulness, or they care about their taxes being lower. And so when the when gas prices spike, that those spikes resonate with voters that want lower taxes, that want to be spending less, uh, that care about less government, care about less wastefulness. And then you can craft a message around that gas tax or that, that gas hike issue uh, that helps resonate with them. So it doesn't have to be, you know, you just try to find alignment and you create a message that says this candidate is going to make sure that he works with uh, the president and, you know, whatever it is, OPEC, or maybe it's to lower the gas tax, like in the state like California, where you have a massive gas tax. Maybe that politician's message is we're going to lower the gas tax and we target that message to people that are anti-tax. So you take the issues that are popping during the day and you frame them in a way that fundamentally falls into where they are in alignment with that candidate, where they are on that issue. And you can, you know, change it. You can say it's manipulate, but really we just try to craft it in a way that helps them understand that that issue resonates with the issue, with what they care about the most. Thanks for explaining that, Philip. You've sorted that out for me. I really appreciate you kind of explaining that a little bit. Now, another thing that you do or have learned from in the political arena that you now use in business is you're able to use the political marketing strategies to handle company crises. It was a chapter in the so my book is Fire Them Now, and, and one of the chapters in the book deals with this. And, and it's interesting. I come from the Republican side of politics, and in today today's days in a day day and age, it you know people are very sensitive to one side or the other. I'm not. And I have friends on both sides of the aisle. And one of my friends is Donna Brazil, who was the former chairwoman of the Democratic National Committee when it was hacked by the Russians. And so I just feel like there we handle crises in politics better than anybody because we understand that you have to get your message out there and get it out there fast, that you have to. Uh, you know, deal with the customer or deal with the voter, and you can't put your head in the sand. Uh, the candidates that we work with that hope a, a bad issue goes away, um, they don't last very long. And so I, I decided to interview Donna Brazil in the book about how they handled the Russian crisis when the Russians hacked into the database of the Democrat National uh, Committee. And so it's a very interesting insight on how she sees things. I'll give you a great example. Recently, Southwest Airlines, Tony, uh, there was this, you know, uh, window that blew out and a woman almost got sucked out of the plane and she eventually died. Are you are you familiar with the, this story? No, actually, I'm not. I've heard sure. a little bit, but I didn't know the more of the details on it. Yeah. And um, uh, this woman passed away and it was a tragedy. And the next day I saw the CEO of Southwest Airlines on Twitter, uh, you know, doing a, like a, an inter not an interview. He was giving a, a little two minute update in a video form. And I saw it on Twitter and I thought to myself initially, oh, that was really smart of that CEO. He's getting ahead of this tragedy, right? Initially, like that's what you have to do. You can't as a CEO, he needs to get out there fast and explain to the customers and to the general public what happened and, and, and the resolution of it. And I thought, well, this is really smart. He's going on Twitter, a good medium, uh, a news following medium. And then I clicked on the video and I watched it and I could tell he was reading from a script. I could see his eyes moving left or right. He was talking in a robot, robotic fashion. 
and he was using sort of garbage gobbledygook language, you know, um, that didn't make, you know, it was kind of like, we will look into this problem and we will address it with the FAA. You know what I'm talking about? He was going like on and on like that. And I thought, what a, what a disaster. Like you have a passenger that died on your plane that got sucked out of the plane and almost got almost got sucked out of the plane. And she died from those issues, from those uh, internal um, issues. And so that CEO should have jumped up and recorded a video and said, you know what? A tragedy happened on this plane and one death is one too many. And I'm going to get to the bottom of this and I'm going to figure it out for my customers. And I know you ride with us because you like us and you want to be safe. And I will ensure to the last day that I ever work in my life that we will ensure safety and that your life is protected on our airplanes. If the, he had come out and said something like that, the general public would have it, the story would have gone away. Instead, the story lingered, and then all of a sudden, about two weeks later, another issue happened, another safety issue happened with Southwest, and it continued, and it's snowballed since then, and they've lost a huge amount of market share. I would even go back and look at the Exxon uh, oil spill in Louisiana from about 11 years ago. The CEO made a comment during that, you know, the oil rig explosion that killed, you know, about, I can't remember, it was like eight or 20 people died on that oil uh, tank or the, uh, the oil explosion off the coast of Louisiana. And he said, after about two weeks, I'm really tired. I'm ready to go home. He said that to the media. People had died. And in politics, we typically see these kind of, you know, our candidates will say something that they shouldn't have you know, in this 24-7 news cycle that we live in now. And so we'll tell our candidates, if you say something, you immediately go out there and you address it immediately. It, you know, and, and for businesses, it could be a bad Yelp review, but you can't stick your head in the sand and say, we got a bad Yelp review. You have to go and address it on Yelp <laughs> and say, we're sorry, you had a bad experience. How can we make it better? And so my point is, uh, when it comes to crisis communications, Everybody will have, as Andy Warhol said, their 15 minutes of fame. I, I've said that everybody will have their 15 minutes in purgatory for some crisis in their own business. And if they simply believe that they can stick their head in the sand and it'll go away, they're gonna, they may lose their company and their business. This is The Spotlight with Tony D'Urso. Just ahead, the chat continues with Philip Stutz, marketing mastermind. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral, and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune into Amplify, featuring host Ken Roshan. This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel and get amplified. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events 
to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. Listening to the Spotlight with Tony D'Urso. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyDURSO.com. Now, back to the Spotlight. All right, we're back with Tony D'Urso on the Spotlight. And as you heard, I'm on television with the Tony D'Urso TV show. Check it out at TonyDURSO.com slash Tony. TV. I'd love to hear how you like it. And if you want to get on my show, fill out the form at TonyDURSO.com slash TonyTV. Today's show is with Philip Stutz, Marketing Mastermind. Philip says that his book, Fire Them Now, is a provocative punch in the nose to digital marketing agencies everywhere, exposing their lies, deceptions, and how they make money before their business clients See any ROI. All right. And now back to the chat with Philip. As you've seen with Donald Trump in office, the news cycle changes every three seconds. If a business owner makes a mistake and addresses it proactively, what we have found is the news cycle moves on. Uh, the bad reviewer moves on. Uh, the bad news goes away very quickly. And if you don't address it, it almost, in most cases, snowballs into something that is 10 times worse than the original problem itself. And so what I do in the book is I kind of go through those steps and how people need to address those things. I love that story and those points, Philip. Very smart, very astute by approaching and actually, in a way, attacking or addressing the actual matter. But you have to address it in a positive way as well. You know this, I'm not, you know, I'm just saying, I see that addressing anything in a positive manner without furthering the tragedy and not saying, you know, too many people are dying or one is too many or trumping it up, but addressing the the points of what the person can do with whatever went bad can alleviate and remove that attention of the public. I sort of look at some of these things from myself as like, a hot water pot on the stove when you're making tea. When the water gets hot and boils, that tea will whistle. Well, if you can diffuse it and take some of that heat off, that whistle doesn't blow. And I, you know, knock on wood, I don't have any crises to handle myself. But when I've been in corporate and have had issues to take care of for the company, I've always looked to diffuse it. But the way you say and how you address it, 
I really like that. And this is all in your book, Fire Them Now? Yeah. So the uh, the book is uh, Fire Them Now, The Seven Lies Digital Marketers Sell and the Truth About Political Strategies That Help Businesses Win. And really, we just lay out the principles behind politics and how they work for businesses. And we, we, we it's very uh, easy read. There are a lot of great, fun stories in the book, great examples for businesses to see of showing how they've worked and, and people that have done them uh, correctly and people who've really screwed it up. And it's a lot of fun. I loved reading the book, I, uh, writing the book. I interviewed over 100 CEOs for the book. And what I kept finding, Tony, was that there was this massive amount of frustration in the marketing marketplace by business owners that said that they know that they have to adapt, that they know that the that, that sort of the advertising platforms is, is a very disruptive market right now, that they either hired a marketing agency, an ad agency, uh, or they tried to do it themselves and it was a massive failure. They spent all this money and they didn't get the return on investment that they typically got from you know what what they did 15, 20 years ago. And I, I just kept looking at everything these CEOs said. And these CEOs were from a Fortune 500 CEO to a small business owner. And I, and I just kept, they kept telling me what their marketing firms were telling them to do. And I, I just said, this is crazy. They're, they're lying to you. They're telling you to do things where the marketing firm always wins before the business wins. And we just don't work like that in politics. And, I, and I'll give you an example. Uh, in politics, we've never, I've never, in over 20 years, I've never had a contract ever that didn't go month to month. I've never signed a six-month contract, a three-month contract, an 18-month contract. I haven't had any of that. Every business owner I talked to said they were locked in with a marketing firm to a six, 12, 18-month contract they couldn't break. And so if the marketing firm screwed up, or didn't didn't uh, win for them, and that's a big word I use in the book, win, right? That they still had to pay the marketing firm out. And I went, well, that's insane. In politics, every politician that's ever hired me can fire me on one month's notice. And what happens to my mindset when I know that my job is on the line every day? Do you think I think, how can I get paid today? Or do I think, how can I get paid for the next 12 months. And if I say, how can I get paid for the next 12 months? Then my candidate has to succeed. They have to be growing. They have to win. And when they win and they succeed, then I get the reward. Then I reap the rewards of that win, right? So you read my bio. Uh, we won a national award for a presidential campaign. And we didn't win that award during the campaign. It was after the campaign was over. We got the reward after we we won uh, a presidential primary. We, you know, we had an ad that ran in a presidential primary, and the candidate won. We built our reputation, and we've doubled our company every year because all we think first is, how does our candidate win? And ultimately, we will be rewarded if they win. And so what I said was, my God, why aren't businesses thinking and acting this way? It's because every marketer in the marketplace is basically saying they've got to sign these long-term contracts. And then they'll do all these other different ideas that I put in uh, the book about how they take advantage of businesses. And then I lay out how they should, uh, how they should communicate to that marketing firm, whether they should you know, how they should reverse it so that the business owner wins, not the marketing firm. And if the marketing firm balks, then fire them now. Philip, I find that very refreshing. I love the one-month contract. It incentivizes you 
to keep working and doing your best instead of just laying back collecting the money. I really like that. In fact, I want to talk more about your book. You talk about the seven lies that digital marketers sell. But I have a couple of questions. So for our audience, I'm going to come back to this because there's a couple of things I really want to find out about you and learn as well. And then we're going to come back and whatever time we have left, I want to talk about some of these digital marketing lies. This is really a great subject. Great. Let's, uh, I'm part of this and some of the questions I ask you may cover some of those as well. I want to talk about, and we may have covered this a little bit too, the strategic methodology that you use. How do you create that relationship with your customer to keep their businesses going? We talked about the one month contract and that you work for them and that you work very hard and that if you win, they win. Can we elaborate more on no, that? No, if they I, win, if they me, win, I win. Yeah. If they win, right. If they win, you <laughs> win. Right. And you get another month. <laughs> Yay, I got another job for a month. How do you really tie that relationship and make it so successful? But it's very clear and it's very easy. And when we applied these principles to our corporate clients, we had explosive results. In fact, I'll give you a good statistic. Tony Robbins had, always talks about this uh, statistic that he's um, that, that that says that it in today's day and age it takes around 16 contacts on the digital and digital platforms for a customer to convert to you know pay for a product or service. 16 visuals, 16 contacts, six, you know, 16 touches on average. Right, that's a lot. Um, and in politics. We know that that is around seven to eight contacts to convert a voter that is undecided. To me, Tony, it is much more harder. It's much harder to convert a undecided voter to, to vote for an, maybe an unsavory or unknown candidate than it is to get someone to buy a tube of toothpaste. Yet we get it. We do it in half the time or half the contacts or half the touches. Right. Why? Because. Everything we do is, is driven by two fundamental factors that most marketers on the corporate world don't understand, and that's speed and emotion. We have election day. I don't have time to sit around and have countless meetings and produce tons of memos for my clients and then charge them you know, on an hourly rate for all those meetings and memos. We have election day. We have to take action. We agree on a plan with my clients, and then we take action. And then the other is emotion. We are in a digital age, Tony, where everybody is on their phones. I mean, if I was, if we were looking at each other right now, my hand would be in front of my face while I'm looking at my cell phone, right? And everybody is walking away from personal relationships and they're having inauthentic relationships. And in politics, we don't, I mean, we use digital mechanisms, but we fundamentally understand that you have to build personal relationships in order to convert the voter. And that's what we start with more than anything else. So you see our candidates holding press conferences. You see our candidates walking door to door, walking in parades, uh, making phone calls to voters, getting to know the voters, and then utilizing our advertising to reinforce the message, to reinforce the relationship. And what businesses think right now is they have these marketing firms come to them and they say, well, you've just got to get your ads up on Facebook. But people don't buy inauthenticity. They just don't. They buy something that resonates with them. And so what we tell, you know, and, you know, if a voter sees you, let's, I'm, I'm going to talk to the business owner right now. 
if, if, the, if the customer right now sees you as a commodity, then they're going to walk away. And if they see you from a loyalty, if they see you as, hey, I'm loyal to that business, that's because you've built a personal relationship. The greatest CEO that has ever done this in the history, in my, my view, the history of our economy is Tony Shea at Zappos. He created a billion-dollar company selling shoes, but he did it on one premise – building relationships. They have call centers, Tony, that at Zappos that has a 9% turnover rate. A typical call center for a company in America right now is 150% turnover rate. Why? Because he trains and instructs his callers not to make a sale, not to get off the phone in two minutes. They, he doesn't have operators in the Philippines. He doesn't have automated operators or make you hit seven buttons before you get to a, a real live person. Everything he trains his call operators to do is to have personal relationships with the people calling in. Again, not make the sale, get to know that person, build a relationship with the person calling in. This is the Spotlight with Tony D'Urso. Just ahead, we're going to find out more from Philip Stutz, marketing mastermind. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You heard that a majority of businesses fail. Don't be a statistic. Get my book free, The Vision Map. Beat the odds for your business success. Get it free at TonyDurso.com slash vision and set up your own successful vision map. TonyDurso.com slash vision. Are you ready for provocative discussions with some of today's most powerful movers and shakers? Tune in to The Art of Significance featuring Dan Clark, the modern-day Napoleon Hill, who interviews the wealthiest, most successful celebrities and business leaders on the planet who are using their influence to change the world. From authors to entertainers, sports figures, educators to military leaders, Dan covers multiple topics. Tune in every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Listen for In the Limelight with Clarissa Burt, international media celebrity, supermodel, and renowned beauty and lifestyle expert, as well as founder and CEO of Envelop Her, multimedia platform for women and sought-after inspirational speaker on women's issues. You'll connect with Clarissa's super influencer celebrity friends and experts as they speak about health, wealth, beauty, lifestyle, business, the love of giving, and the love of living a model life. Tune in every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Hear the stories. Be motivated. Be inspired. Join us today. Voice America Influencers. You're listening to The Spotlight with Tony D'Urso. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyDurso.com. Now, back to The Spotlight. All right, we're back with Tony D'Urso on The Spotlight. Today's show is with Philip Stutz, Marketing Mastermind. 
Some expert reviews for Philip's book, Fire Them Now. Keith J. Cunningham, The Road Less Stupid, says, Finally, an expert in digital marketing who's on my side. And Jay Abraham, founder and CEO of Abraham Group, says, Pray your marketing agency reads this before you do, or they should be fired. All right, back to the chat with Philip. Long story short, the result is that Zappos, their call centers have a 75% repurchase rate. 75% of the people that call into their call centers have bought from Zappos before. Why? Because they're made to feel important. They're made to feel like someone cares about them. And we get that in politics. Because the you know you can say what you will about politicians, but you know if you if you do a if you see these polls that are out there right now, people hate politicians, they hate Congress, they hate the president, they hate everybody. But then you go, well, what do you think of your congressman or congresswoman? And they go, oh yeah, I like him or I like her, right? And that's because they built authentic relationships on a local level. And so we understand that. And when we reverse engineered that concept and applied it to our corporate clients and built a strategy based on personal relationships, we've had a lot of success with them. And that's sort of the concept behind it. This is very unique where you're taking the political principles and what you've learned and putting them into the business world. Very unique. I can totally see why you have astounding success. And you are in a great position where you can learn a whole nother facet of loyalty, engagement, and bring that into business. And I believe that you something you say or something I've read in one of your things where these principles are a path to innovation in this time of global economic disruption that we're in. Yeah, we've never been in a more disrupted time in human history. Um, I was given a speech in Washington, D.C. yesterday to um, a startup company that was founded by Steve Wozniak um, or, or funded by him. And, uh, you know, one of the original he and Steve Jobs founded uh, Apple. And we were we were having this conversation. Everything in the world is getting disrupted right now. Every job will be disrupted in the next 10 to 15 years. And people that don't understand that and aren't innovating and thinking outside the box and thinking of different creative ways, whether it be for their marketing or to grow their business, are going to be gone. And I'll, I'll give you two uh, examples of that. One is right now that 18% of greenhouse gases in, this, in the world are created by land animals, cows, right? And there are people in Silicon Valley that have taken the cells of cows and they are using it to 3D print steaks in hamburgers, in anything else. What happens to the agriculture regions of this country when in the next 15 to 20 years, we eliminate 50, 75% of these land animals and we cut the greenhouse gases down, but farmers could be out of business. What happens to that land? What happens to grocery stores, right? We know that Amazon has not only bought Whole Foods, but they're going to basically an employee-less um, grocery store, right? They, they've got one already in Seattle. Um, and, you know, I, well, I always talk about automated cars, but it's not about automated cars are coming and my five-year-old daughter will never drive a car. It is that there are second and third order consequences to automated cars. Uh, in state governments or local governments, when, they, when you have automated cars, you're not going to have speeding tickets anymore or parking tickets. Where does that revenue, where is that revenue made up? What happens to people that sell car insurance if there are no more accidents or we're 99% safer with autonomous cars? Uh, what happens to lawyers who sue over car accidents? 
know? It's extremely I mean, disruptive. In fact, I know some people that are working on fully automated stores. We already have some overseas. Fully automated, no person, no cashier, no nothing, just machines. Well, McDonald's is already doing that. There are McDonald's right now that you walk in and you, you know, you basically walk up to an iPad and you put your order in and then you sit down at your table and someone will bring you your hamburger and fries. Eventually, it'll be a robot that brings them that hamburger and fries. And so there is an industry that will be totally disrupted. Uh, you know, on the autonomous car, here's the craziest one of all. What happens when, you know, that 35,000 people died from automobile accidents <clears throat> in the country last year? What, what happens to people on organ donor lists? They're waiting for organs when, they're no, when there are 99% less deaths in this country on, from automobiles. It's just crazy how much disruption is coming. And what I find are business owners that basically have their head in the sand and say, well, the marketing marketplace has changed and I'm, I've been screwed over and it's not working. And you know what? I'm just not going to do anything. And, and all of a sudden I go, oh, my God, man, you're you're dead. Like you're going to be dead. You're gone. You're 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 going to be a dinosaur very, very soon. And what I try to do in the book was basically help people that are paralyzed by this fear. And, and you know, I, I, I talk about this. This is a weird sort of parallel, but I empathize with this because I, I have, I was paralyzed by fear for many, many years. I have a, um, an incurable esophageal disease and I didn't do anything about it for five years. And I stuck my head in the sand and I had this major disruption coming in my own health. In fact, the doctors at the Mayo Clinic basically said, you know, in about 10 years, we're going to have to put you on a feeding tube. Well, I mean, I'm 44 right now, and I don't want to be in a feeding tube when I'm 54. And, um, they, you know, so and what did I do about that? The prospect of a feeding tube. I did nothing. I took the medications they told me to take uh, and I did nothing. And I just said, well, you know, I listened to my doctor. My doctor told me, look, your disease is what it is. And he patted me on the back and said, see, in six months. And at a certain point, I just said, I'm being disrupted. I can either be disrupted or I could be the disruptor. And so I decided to be the disruptor of an incurable disease. And it's led me into the last year and a half where um, this fall, I'll start a, a one-man first-ever clinical trial where they're going to insert stem cells at Johns Hopkins University. They'll insert stem cells into my esophagus to try to regenerate the dead muscles and nerves in my esophagus. Well, that all started when I decided, oh, my gosh, I'm about to be disrupted, and I'm, I can either sit there and just take my medicine – the medications they were telling me to take, Tony – uh, have long-term dementia effects. And they basically said, well, you know, you're going to probably get dementia by taking this medication, but in the short run, it's going to help you. So just take it. Right. And in the year and a half since I decided to be the disruptor, I'm, I've got my diet in a place where I'm off all medications and I'm, you know, I'm now starting this clinical trial this fall and it may not work and that's okay. I'll go for plan B after that. But the fact is, is I'm not going to sit on the sidelines anymore. And it really resonated with me when I saw a lot of business owners that were equally, equally being disrupted and they were sticking their head in the sand. And I went, oh, I've been that guy. I, I think <laughs> I want to help these people. And it really became my purpose. That is quite something. And I really feel for your illness and applaud you for what you're doing, because you can either do something about an issue or do nothing about it. And if you do something, anything you're always going to feel better and do better. 
and get a little bit better results than just doing absolutely nothing. And the fact that you're off medications and having a more healthy lifestyle, I think that's fantastic. You're taking the right approach. You're using the principles you've learned in the political industry and that you've applied to business. You're applying them to yourself, which is very cool as well. I'm not. Let me, let me be very clear. If you went back to 2012 and when I was diagnosed and you said, Philip, I'll give you your health back. You can have it. I wouldn't take it. I would take the disease every single time. The disease is a blessing. The disease changed my life. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm definitely a better boss. Um, and I definitely lead a purpose-driven life. And it all started because I got the disease. And so it is not an issue for me. Um, it is a blessing for me. And that's really how I look at it. Interesting how a catastrophe sometimes can be looked upon as a wake-up call from a higher point of view to change the path you're on. As a matter of fact, speaking of that, you were trained by Prudence Farrow, which I believe is Mia's <laughs> sister and the fame name behind the Beatles' Dear Prudence song. You learned transcendental meditation. Has any of that helped you in this process? Uh, yeah. You know, you are the first person I've done over 100 interviews at this point. You're the first person to ever ask this, and I love it. This is probably, I'll probably be more excited to answer this question than anything else. Uh, Tony, I am an ADD human being. I, I was diagnosed with ADD, and I was probably one of the first generation of kids back in the late 80s that was diagnosed. I was put on Ritalin. I was told that by having ADD, it was um, a curse, that there was something wrong with me. And, you know, the most entrepreneurs are all ADD, right? And uh, But one of the things that happens in my brain is it just doesn't shut down. Like, there are 50 things going in at all at once. And while that is good in the in the business sense, it's really crappy if you're trying to give presence to your daughter. It's really crappy if you're trying to be present for your wife because you just have all these things juggling in your head all the time. And I had to figure out a way to calm myself down. This is the Spotlight with Tony D'Urso. Just ahead, Philip shares more insights and his contact info. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Want to improve your health, business, and life just by listening to a radio show? Well, we can at least move you in the right direction. Listen for Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. Each week, Allison will speak with amazing guests and find out what's changed their lives and how they are changing the lives of others. From beauty to health to business and personal relationships, we're here to inspire you to live your life of passion. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers channel. Do you believe that being fit is difficult? Do you think it requires turning in your favorite comfort foods for boring chicken and broccoli and spending hours in a gym? It doesn't. Tune into Have It All with Devin Alexander. Devin and her guest experts will show you how you can have it all at any age, from relationships to money to thinking bigger than you've ever imagined. Devin will fast track your goals to yummy reality. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You're listening to The Spotlight with Tony D'Urso. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyDurso.com. Now, back to The Spotlight. All right, we're back with Tony D'Urso on The Spotlight. As you heard, I'm on television with the Tony D'Urso TV show. Check it out at TonyDurso.com slash Tony TV. I'd love to hear how you like it. And if you want to get on my show, fill out the form at TonyDurso.com slash Tony TV. Today's show is with Philip Stutz, Marketing Mastermind. Philip offers a complimentary audit of your business's marketing services. Philip's team will grade, score, and offer suggestions on how to improve and save your marketing dollars for a larger ROI and you're under no obligation to use his services. Check it out. All right. And now back to the chat. And my, I was very blessed. Um, Prudence Farrow, Mia Farrow's sister, who, yeah, like you said, the uh, I think Rolling Stone had Dear Prudence by the Beatles as one of their top 50 songs of all time. That's her. And she lives in this little remote beach town that I live in right now. And she has taught transcendental meditation since the 1960s. And my wife uh, learned how transcendental meditation under her. And um, she, you know, she said, Philip, I think this would be really good for you. What it has done is it has calmed me down. Um, you know, it's, it's um, if you're familiar with TM, it's um, you meditate. It's mindless meditation. So you literally close your eyes. You say a chant and you do it for 20 minutes and you do it twice a day. And I thought to myself when this started, well, first of all, how in the hell am I going to do 20 minutes twice a day? Like, I don't have that kind of time. Um, but I made it a must, not a should. And um, I learned under Prudence Pharaoh, who is one of the most well-known transcendental meditation teachers in the world. And she just happens to live in this little redneck city I live in. And uh, she she has been amazing. She, she is um, an amazing human being. And it has changed my life. I am. Uh, it has taught me presence. It has taught my brain to calm down. It is. You know. I will tell you. I'm probably twenty times more efficient in my day because of the two twenty-minute meditations I do, uh, the transcendental meditations I do every day. It's been a fundamental game changer in my life. That is really interesting, and it's actually astounding. I've read a little bit of Buddha and what he's done, and how he's worked. Is that very similar to what Buddha did when he achieved his state of, I believe it's called Bodhi? Consciousness. 
Yeah, I, there, there are tons of similarities um, on that. You know, there, meditation is very uh, in vogue right now. And then there's a lot of what we call mindful meditation. You think about your outcomes for the day. You think about what you want to accomplish and the people you're grateful to. And, and I did that. I did it for like a year. And I thought it worked until I started doing transcendental meditation. And then I realized that it just for everybody is different. I mean, what works for me may not work for you, but it works for me. For someone who literally cannot stop, you know, goes, you know, I get up at 4.30 in the morning and I don't stop until, you know, 10 o'clock at night. Uh, it, it is a chance to calm everything down and recharge and my brain. And it is, um, I, I truly believe it has been the most fundamental uh, impact difference maker that I've ever, uh, you know, uh, that I've ever employed. Gotcha on that. And the fact that you've also changed your lifestyle too, you just, you're just a whole new different person, which is great. I think we all run through spirals, either going up or going down where, you know, I look back at myself, you know, I'm so much different compared to how I was before. And I think these issues that come to us, the way we deal with them in our lives, make us a better person or perhaps even a worse person. And hats off to you. you you're you on the right track here. You're doing very well with that. So that's very good. As a matter of fact, you also did a TV series on your illness, and I believe it shows on Medium. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it's actually just a, a blog on it. Um, Medium's a, you know, a, a place to, uh, you know, it's just a platform for you to to write. And, and I did write about it. It's called The Moonshot. I did it in 2017. Uh, I went to uh, out in L.A. I went to Peter Diamandis's uh, Abundance 360 conference, and this was all in that sort of time period where I decided to to disrupt this disease, but I didn't know how to do it. And he he walks on stage, and I think I'm at a business conference, Tony. And he you know, uh, Peter walks on stage, and he says, "I want you to think about something that everyone says is impossible, and I want you to figure out how to make it possible. Let's call it your moonshot." pull out your pen and your notebook and write down a moonshot. And here I was at this business conference and I thought, oh my gosh, I know what my moonshot is. I got to find a cure to this disease in five years, an incurable disease. And um, that was where it started. And then I decided to write about it. And um, my first uh, entry got picked up by Inc. Magazine. And you know what's really funny is when you put yourself out there in Inc. that you're taking a moonshot to cure an incurable disease in five years, uh, it's a lot of accountability. <laughs> you know, I couldn't run away from it. And I was like, it's not like I could, if I write about it and I put it out there, then people are going to ask me about it. And so I have to do something about it. And I'm, I'm very, very, uh, uh, I believe in accountability in a lot of different levels. And I want people to hold me accountable. And that was one of the reasons I did that. And you said earlier about, you know, you know changed my health and I changed my mental state and all that. Did. And you're 100 percent right. I'm I'm so driven to try to grow and and find my purpose and all that stuff. But I I screw up all the damn time. I mean I'm a mess. I I mean I I you know sometimes it's six step forward, two steps back. Sometimes it's six steps back, two steps forward. Uh, th- th- this is no easy task and, um, I fail a lot and I'm okay with failure. Failure to me is just feedback and, and I, it's just not that big of a deal. I'm okay with it, but I mess up all the time and, <laughs> and Philip, you're going to succeed. Accountability this. sort of, you know, allows me to, to assess those failures and try to improve. Totally agree with you. And you are going to succeed at this 
if only for one reason. You are going to succeed, Philip, because you keep going. In other words, when you lay down and just sit down and say it's over, that's when you fail. Otherwise, it's just learning experiences and you just learn another way of what to do or what not to do. But if you just keep at it and keep at it, you will succeed because that desire is the overriding factor of everything. I see you're going to handle this, whether it's with the stem cells or something else. You know, there's a lot to be said about nutrition and what we put in our body to build strong bodies. It might just be, you know, it took time for something to go bad. And I also think it can take time for something to fix. So you're on the right track. And I think you keep on with that attitude and actions, not just the attitude, but actually doing things and putting things in the real world. You're going to beat us. I can tell. We're going to do another interview where you're going to say it's a lot better. I can just see that. In fact, we'll do that next year, probably. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. That means a lot, Tim. Thank you. My pleasure. And part of this, too, which, you know, just so many principles here in the political arena. I've never explored these, and I'm extremely appreciative of being able to interview you and learning from that other side of the world, if, we, if I want to call it that way, the political side. One thing, and you've talked a little bit about this in this interview, is there are negative things that happen. And you say something like, it's not an exact quote, you say something like going negative or dealing with negativity is an art because there's a way to skillfully use that. And I'd love it if you could, you know, take the baton there and tell us more about that. If I was to talk to any business owner, entrepreneur that's listening to this podcast, I would tell them there is one strategy that would give you explosive growth and no one is using it. And if you did it correctly, it would your your return on investment would could be massive. And in a disruptive moment that we've been talking about on this show, maybe that's intriguing, but maybe people are too scared to try. And that is, uh, we, you know, in politics, we do negative comparison advertising, right? Tony, how do you, you, you've seen negative political ads in your life, correct? Too many. I, do you like them? I can't stand them anymore. Please stop. <laughs> All right, and why do we do them? You do them because the other candidate is a bad person. I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) We do them because it works. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. And, you know, I'm not talking about from that businesses should take a a club and hit people over the head like we do in politics. Like, I get that. That would be dumb. That would be suicide for any business owner. But businesses that try that run that are especially businesses that are underdogs in the marketplace. So if you're a business owner, you're an entrepreneur and you are not number one in the marketplace. This is the strategy that I implore. And we, we do this with some of my clients, but I'll give you some examples of people that have done it. Um, that, that if they just utilize this in the proper fashion, they could have explosive growth. And what I'm saying is there is a way to do comparative advertising against your competition that offends no one and only endears the customer or the client to you. It's a no-lose situation. And so the greatest example of this of all time, uh, there are two examples, actually. One is the uh, Pepsi versus Coca-Cola wars that were in the 80s, right? There was the Pepsi challenge. And Pepsi came out and, and you, you ran these commercials where people would walk up on the street and try Coke and try Pepsi and everybody was choosing Pepsi. Really what happened was Pepsi had a sweeter formula and younger people, the greatest market 
you know, that you're trying to, to get into these days, you know, if you're a business, you get the young market. Uh, they, um, they were choosing Pepsi. And so Pepsi ran these ads and Coke didn't know what to do. I always say there's like these stages of, of grief and shock for any business owner that gets, goes through a negative ad campaign. They, first of all, they laugh at, at, you know, the business. Like, so Coke sort of laughed it off and didn't, didn't respond to Pepsi. And then they sort of froze and said, well, wait, what is this ad? And then all of a sudden they realized something had hit and they didn't know what it was. So, you know, I, I, I laugh a lot. There are a lot of companies that do this. They, they create memos. They do a lot of meetings. Oh my gosh, we got to do something. We're, we're being attacked right now. And then they decide they've got to take some action. Well, that whole process typically on a cor- on, on the corporate side, you know, businesses, it can take up to 12 months for that entire those steps to take place. And if you run for 12 months a comparative ad campaign that doesn't offend uh, any customer but endears you to the customer, to the client market, it can give you explosive growth. And after 12 months, you've moved on to the next strategy while they're trying to respond to you. What was Coca-Cola's response to the Pepsi challenge? Do you remember this, Tony? I remember the Cola Wars. I remember the Pepsi challenge. And I'm just sifting through like thousands of commercials. (laughs) Coca-Cola's response was to create new Coke which almost bankrupted the 100-year-old company. And literally, they almost bankrupted the company just in the reacting to the negative comparison ad. So the other the company did this was Steve Jobs at Apple. He ran about 10 years ago. It was called Apple versus PC. I don't know if you remember this ad. But he, ran, he created over 360 ads where you had this nerdy PC guy and you had this very cool hipster Mac guy. And they were on this screen with a white background. And in all of the ads, they were hilarious. The, the PC guy was this nerd he, he was old. He, he, he stumbled all over himself. Everything he said was dumb. The, so the Mac people, you know, the Mac, the Apple people didn't attack anybody. They made them. <laughs> they made the PC market attack basically Microsoft. Right. It was really attack on Microsoft. Well, that ad campaign, along with the invention of the iPhone, it all came out at the same time. It really exploded Apple into one of the big four companies. And it all started from a negative ad campaign. There, there, that's all strategic. There's a great uh, story out of Mobile, Alabama, where there's a, a Chick-fil-A and a Moe's barbecue. And they're right they're across the street from each other. And they both have billboards. And Chick-fil-A puts up a billboard about a year ago, and it says – uh, try our new smokehouse chicken sandwich, you know, limited time only, open, you know, closed Sundays. That's what the billboard said. Well, the owner of Moe's, who I've now designated as the greatest uh, uh, corporate uh, comparison advertising hero of mine in the world, puts up a billboard that said, hey, uh, hey, Chick-fil-A, I thought we were friends. Open Sundays. And then Chick-fil-A responds back on their billboard with, uh, don't be mad, Moe's. We're still friends. And then Moe's responds to something like, I'm with Diamonds now, but it, but we'll talk later. Well, Diamonds is the strip club across the street, right? And that, like they go at each other. And this barbecue owner in Alabama was not scared about putting up a joke that said, you know, I'm with Diamonds, the strip club, right? Like it was all fun. It was all like – you know, they went back and forth at each other. Well, here's the result of that. That just one fun. They may have even been collaborating, Tony, as far as I know. I don't know. 
But the, that Chick-fil-A and that moves, they ended up getting over 10,000 shares on Facebook over this whole comparative ad campaign story. There were articles written about it all over the country. There were, every publication in the state of Alabama wrote about it. Everything was positive. Um, we went in and did an analysis at my firm. We estimate it was in six figures of free advertising for both companies, all because they ran a quote-unquote negative ad strategy on each other. No one was offended. It was hilarious. And that's what we implore businesses to do. If you're an underdog in the marketplace, be creative and go. And then we go into the book and the chapter where I talk about this in the book, we just go really in depth on this particular strategy and how businesses can do it and do it properly. And, and so I just think it's an outlier strategy that nobody uses except some of the smartest people in the, in the history of our uh, business economy. Absolutely brilliant and great insights you're giving us, Philip, and just taking us down so many avenues that we can use for our business, whether we're an entrepreneur, or small business owner, corporate level executive, and so forth. Love it. I'm just mesmerized by everything. I want to hear more, but we're almost there out of time. And before we go, I want to make sure that we get any contact information of how our audience can get a hold of you. And we want to know that, where to get your book. And I also think you have a special offer for us. Yeah, I do. So um, you can find me at philipstutz.com. Uh, you can find uh, the links to buy the book there. You can also subscribe there. What, what we do from a subscription standpoint is we find stories of businesses that are using political principles. And then we try to tell those stories to people that are interested so that they can learn and educate themselves even more. And we'll point out the stories of businesses that are using political principles properly and the ones that are screwing it up. And so it's a lot of fun uh, we have, and we don't bombard people all the time. But when we see a story out there, we want to connect with uh, the subscribers that really are interested in how this works and how they can help their businesses with it. And so you can go there. All my uh, social media handles are on uh, philipstutz.com. And then the offer is this. So, you know, I've talked about this frustration in the marketing marketplace, that if you're a business owner and you're, think you're listening to this podcast and you're like, well, that makes sense, but I don't know what we're doing wrong and I don't know how to, who we can trust. Um, you know, in my business, I just kept saying, how can we continue to find value? We, we, we started in my company, Tony, by giving value to my uh, to the employees of the company. Like that's my starting point. I want to create a company that gives them so much value. They'll never go anywhere and they embody the, the values of the company. And then we decided to give a, a different kind of value to every client and customer and try to understand them and build real relationships with them, personal relationships, the kind of stuff we've been talking about here. And then I thought, how can I help people that aren't even clients? And so what we decided to do was create a digital media audit. So if you're a business owner out there and you go to philipstutz.com backslash audit, and it's a three minute survey, you fill it out. It get, it's basically you, you're um, inputting everything that's publicly available about your business. And my team will go in and look at your digital marketing footprint. We'll explore your email campaigns, your SEO, uh, your you know where you are on the platforms, how your content looks, all those sorts of things. And then we'll put a report together. And the report basically will identify all the things you're doing really well that you're really crushing. And if there are things that like if you just improve these two or three things, you could have a return on investment of 25 percent or 50 percent. And we'll identify those two or three things for, for the business owner. And then on top of that, we'll do a free consultation. So the audit is free. 
We'll do a consultation with one of my team members for free. And you can take that. And I always say you can take that report and the explanation and the consultation and take it to your marketing firm and say, improve on this. Or if they say no, then you can just fire them now, which is the name of the book. Um, and that's really how you can do. So we just wanted to provide value for the business owners that have their head in the sand, may feel like they need help, uh, that they're paralyzed by sort of everything that's going on and they don't trust what they're seeing out there in the marketplace. And we wanted to provide that value. And so it's a free consultation, a free report, and uh, it has helped. We've done over 150 now since the book has come out. And it's just been amazing to see the difference it's made in these businesses. Thank you very much for that, Philip. I know that it's worth thousands of dollars to do that audit and come up with a report. So thank you very much on behalf of the Spotlight audience here for that. And again, that's philipstutz.com slash audit. Check it out. Get the free audit, everybody. It's worth thousands. Take advantage now before Philip goes, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> no way. No All way. Right. We love doing it. All right. Well, such an amazing interview with you. Philip Stutz, Marketing Mastermind. I have learned so much. Definitely have to have you back. Thank you so much for sharing all this with us, Philip. I just absolutely love it. Thank you very much. Tony, thank you for the service you provide. You, you provide uh, education and content to help others. It's, um, it's a great, uh, you, what you do is amazing. And I love your show. And thank you for having me on. The honor is mine. Thank you. And to our Spotlight audience, thanks again. It's our honor to have you listen. All right, everyone, keep your focus on success, and we'll see you next on the Spotlight. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Spotlight with Tony D'Urso. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Now, enjoy the weekend.